Today we're starting a new sermon series, series of messages that I'm calling a Builder. Jesus Christ is a builder. He tells Peter, I will build my church. And the Apostle Paul saw himself as a builder. He describes his influence as that of a skilled master builder. 1 Corinthians 3. The New Testament says that each of us must please our neighbors for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. That's Romans 15.2. So we're all meant to be builders. And over the next eight weeks, I'd like to consider with you, what is it that Jesus is building? And how can we join? If indeed, as Romans 15.2 seems to hint, the purpose of our lives is tied up with this cosmic construction project, what does it mean for us to be a part of that? Well, our teacher these eight weeks will be Jeremiah, a man who lived in a small town, a three-mile walk northeast of Jerusalem in the 7th century B.C. Because Jeremiah was called to build. The calling to build first came to Jeremiah, the prophet. So let's begin today by reading of his call. Would you open up a Bible to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10? And you'll find that on page 609. I'd really like you to open it up because I'd have you read with me in a moment. But before we do, let me get us through the, the, the introductory paragraph, which is essentially the dating and the historical section that ties this to the history of Israel because there's some names that are a little bit difficult to pronounce. So I'll get us through the first uh, three, four verses, and then I'll have us stand and read uh, of Jeremiah's call together. And when uh, we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Amnon, of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now let's stand together and uh, read aloud Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. (laughs) Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Oh, do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's verse 5. In its essence, the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, I, I, I have a plan to build your life. And I've had this plan to build your life even before you believed in me, even before you knew me, even before you were born. I think this is interesting. Um, I think his age in particular is interesting. Notice he says, I am only a boy in verse 7. The word that he uses for boy is the word that would be used of Joseph when the writer tells us Joseph was 17 years old. It could be that he's anywhere in the first couple of decades of his life, but I like to think of him as around 17, maybe a college freshman. He would be about 18 years old when this calling came to, to him. And as a member of a university church, this gets my attention. The data shows these days that most have a settled religious effect aff affiliation by the age of 25. That season in your life is an important season for faith formation. While God can do wonderful things at any point in our life, much fewer of us come to faith after age 35. There's a window. If Jeremiah were 18 years old today, he would be a member of the largest generation in American history. Sociologists call it Generation Z, those who are born between 1995 and 2010. This is the largest generation of Americans alive today, the largest generation of Americans in history. It's our present, it's our future. Also happens to be the most unchurched generation ever in America. Jeremiah would belong to the fastest growing religion in America, which would be the nuns. Uh, these are those who are religiously unaffiliated. Uh, when surveys, pollsters ask about religious affiliation, the nuns are those who would check uh, atheist or agnostic or no faith tradition if they were on the survey, but typically there's just a little box that says none. Now in 1940, one out of 20 Americans uh, were nuns. In 2015, though, one out of five Americans will check that box. And out of uh, Generation Z, one out of three. This is not hostility towards God or towards religion. It's more indifference. It's more meh, yawn, swipe left. But not here. Not Jeremiah. Here we have a genuine 18-year-old in a spiritual awakening. Something wonderful is happening in Jeremiah's life at this point. So I find myself just intrigued by that. I want to know, how is this happening? And here he is telling us in his very own words, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Now, note, this is a time of spiritual collapse in the culture around Jeremiah. This is the period of the exile. It's coming soon. Uh, but here is an act of spiritual construction. God is building a soul. God is building a life in this young man. How? Well, it's a little bit hard to know. Uh, the typical, in typical uh, Hebrew narrative, the description is spare and compressed. Uh, we might 
engage our imagination. I think it would be easy to sort of imagine that there might have been a hovering glow pixelating in front of him and a voice coming out of that speaking to him uh, audibly. But I doubt that's really the way it worked for Jeremiah. How did this word come to Jeremiah? Well, perhaps somebody said something to him. His father is a priest. Maybe it was an aunt or a neighbor. Perhaps he read Jeremiah will be, is literate. Maybe this word comes to him as he ponders, as he studies the beauty and mystery of the Milky Way over his head, perhaps through a season of pain and suffering, he comes into contact with human frailty. Maybe in some way, though, it's just that he has this growing sense of more, that there's more to my life than meets the eye, that there's more to the world than I can see or perceive. We do get a sense that there's something like meaning catching him, uh, something that makes sense of his life, an invitation to a meaningful world, word that confronts him even as it invites him. A word, he says, a word has come. This is what the Greeks would call logos, from which we get our word logic. There's a sense to things, almost like uh, uh, it's inviting, almost like the answer to a math problem is inviting. It seems to compel. Once we work through the occasion, it tends to inevitably draw us towards this fixed point. There's a, there's a word that's drawing him, a meaning. Perhaps it's something like purpose that uh, um, causes this awakening. Uh, like a blueprint for his life, a, a, a kind of a destiny. Before I formed you, I knew you. What we're going to learn about Jeremiah is he's very passionate about uh, justice, that he looks around the world and he's troubled by uh, the places in which the world doesn't work the way God wants it to work. And perhaps this urge to constantly confront injustice, perhaps the the fact that God makes sense of that urge as the basis for justice provokes this awakening. Who knows? What we do know is that at age 18, Jeremiah's life is deeply disrupted and reoriented. He has a sense that God knows me, God loves me, God cares for me, God has a purpose for me in this life. And Jeremiah says, yes. He says, yes. But to what? You shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Well, that's rather open-ended, it seems to me. Right? I'm reminded of a, a distant mentor I had when I was in college, uh, a man named Bill Bright. Some of you are familiar with him. When, when Bill Bright was a young man, he was a businessman, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And He signed a contract with God. This is what business people do, I guess. Uh, and and he, it was basically a, a blank check, and he put his name on the bottom. It was an act of joyful surrender. God, I will go wherever you send me. I will do whatever you ask me to do. It's this blank check. And having done that, God did wonderful things through Bill Bright's life. He became the founder of a movement that touched millions of lives around the world. And something even more wonderful will be happening through Jeremiah's life because Jeremiah, as a young man, surrenders to God. And he surrenders to a God who has a great mission a mission to redeem, a mission to bless, a mission to heal all peoples, all the nations of the world. Now, Jeremiah is saying, yes, at the end of the world he's known, 
because this is the end of the 400-year monarchy that began with Saul. Long gone now are the days of David and Solomon, the glory days of Israel. We're really at the end of Israel's history. Uh, now they're in a season of international crisis, political division, social injustice, ethical disregard, religious indifference. That's why sometimes I refer to Jeremiah as the prophet of doom. It's a hard season in Israel's life. And Jeremiah will be a prophet. He will speak hard things that challenge the unbelief of God's people. But he will always and ultimately speak of better things, of a God who's here to build something new. I like the way the great Hebrew scholar Christopher Wright puts it. It was into that collapsing and collapsed world that Jeremiah was called to speak the words that God would put in his mouth, to weep the tears that flowed from God's own heart, and to bring the gospel of the inexplicable grace and love with which God would create a very different future. This is Jeremiah's calling. At the moment, he can't grasp any of this. He's just got this blank contract. I will go wherever you send me. I will say whatever you command me. And he says yes. Because the only way to find out what fills in the contract is to say yes. The only way to find out who I am and who God is and what the purpose for my life is, is to say yes to the one who knew me before I was born. But God does tell him one thing. Notice this. God tells him that Jeremiah will ultimately be a builder. See, today I appoint you, he says, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow. That's the confrontation with unbelief. And then, this is verse 10, I appoint you to build and to plant. I appoint you to build. Now, he uses rich poetic language here. There are three pairs of words that uh, come from the domain of agriculture and warfare and construction, all of which these pairs are meant to communicate to Jeremiah just how powerful God's words will be in Jeremiah's mouth. They will, in fact, change history. They will change the world. Uh, these are, he, he's a man who's been given great power, but his power won't be the power of the sword, or the power of the plow, or the power of the hammer. It'll be the power of his words. And at this point, I'm, I'm reminded very much of uh, Winston Churchill. John F. Kennedy said, Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. I'm reminded of the Proverbs, uh, verse 18, 21, that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, our words matter. And Jeremiah is learning this. I appoint you to build. That's his ultimate calling. Throughout the life and writings of Isaiah, we see this theme of tearing down and building up, particularly, ultimately, the building up part. He insists, Jeremiah does, that God will build. God will build his people. For example, in Jeremiah 24, verses 6 and 7, Jeremiah writes down one of the great promises of God in his, his day. He says, the Lord says, I will set my eyes upon exiles for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. 
I want to make the connection to us now um, because I do think we're implicated in this call. The reality is that God is still building, even in our day. St. Paul saw this building in his day. In fact, St. Paul, I believe, understands his calling significantly in light of the calling of Jeremiah. We can see Paul using Jeremiah's language throughout his ministry. St. Paul, remember, was the great Rabbi Saul of Tarsus. He would have read Jeremiah, maybe had much of it memorized. And when he is encountered by the resurrection, resurrected Jesus on the way to Damascus, immediately it's like Saul, the rabbi, says, ah, the exile has come to an end. Here now, in the resurrection of the Son of Man, God has begun to gather his people, to restore his people. He's building up a people again. And that's why the Apostle Paul's missionary strategy is to go to the synagogue first, wherever he goes. You know, synagogue just means gathering. That's, that was the locus of That's where the exiles were gathered. Wherever they were, they were gathering in a synagogue. And that's where Paul went because he, he knew God would begin the building with his own people. And he shares with them the, the good news that God now in our day is fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham, to Jacob, to Moses, to David, and ultimately to Jeremiah. God has come among us as one of us to tear down the power of sin and death in our midst and to build up God's people, to create a new world in the midst of the old. And it's happening now, is what he's saying. That's driving his ministry. And St. Paul says that God is doing it in our time as well. For example, let me just run through a few places where you see this in Paul's writing. Romans 15, 2, each of us must build up the neighbor. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, strive to excel in spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. Uh, Ephesians 4, 16, as each part promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, encourage one another and build up each other. And then he builds them up by saying, as indeed you are doing. I love that little affirmation there at the end. So see today, I appoint you, the Lord says. And I'd like to suggest that it might just mean you and me. The 18-year-olds in our midst and the 80-year-olds in our midst and everybody else. Me, you say. Oh, I'm no prophet. I'm no prophet. Maybe. But you are a member of a prophetic community. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 14 that Malia read to us so beautifully earlier in our service. And you might look at 1 Corinthians 14 again. It's on page 934. Here the Apostle Paul describes the kind of community that they ought to be if they follow Jesus Christ in Corinth. He says in verse 1, pursue love. He says in verse 3, speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He says in verse 5, I would like all of you to prophesy. That's, that's universal. I would like all of you to prophesy. He says speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift, but I would like all of you to prophesy because when you prophesy, you build somebody up. And so he says, uh, pursue love and speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So we as a community have the same calling that Jeremiah has as an individual. What would this look like for us? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Two things, quickly. First, it doesn't mean running around saying, thus saith the Lord. 
because it turns out my thoughts are not God's thoughts all the time. And the canon has been closed. God's book has been written and given to us once and for all. Uh, it, it doesn't mean sitting on the couch with your roommate trying to decide what to watch and saying, thus saith the Lord, right? It's going to be Black Mirror or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which would be the one I would choose. But I'm not authorized to say, thus saith the Lord. This is what we're going to watch. No, um, prophetic words don't invent Scripture. Prophetic words personalize Scripture for somebody else. They say, this is the good news for you. The other thing that they're not like, not running around saying, thus saith the Lord, they're not like running around saying, here's what's wrong with you. <laughs> the Lord is never going to give you a word about how stingy your sister is. That doesn't come from Jesus. You're not going to have, have a vision that you can share with. Hey, Brian, you know, I had this vision that you were going around apologizing everybody for being such a two-faced liar. I don't know. Maybe the Lord's got a message for you. No, that is not what this means. In fact, it's very interesting and it's important to note that Paul says the, 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 the ministry of tearing down was unique to Jeremiah and it's not ours. Twice he says to those in Corinth, uh, I have not been given authority to tear anything down, only to build up. If you want to see that yourself, look at 2 Corinthians 10, 8. Uh, prophetic words are always motivated by love and they're always for encouragement and consolation. That's what Paul says here. Now, let me give you an example in my own life. A couple weeks ago, and this isn't, you know, I've, I wish I thought about this more often, but I, I did. I sent a text message to someone, and I, because um, I had this dream, and it was a couple days later, still hanging with me, and I thought, I wonder what this means, that I've got this dream about my friend. Uh, and I don't, normally don't think much about my dreams, let alone talk about them, because of all the pirates and the dancing artichokes and everything, I, it's, it's weird. So I keep that to myself. Uh, but I, I, I sent this text message to a friend, and I wrote this. Hey, hey, I had a dream about you. Uh, you had a high-tech crossbow over your shoulder. Gave me a sense of your competence, wisdom, and boldness. I don't know what it means, if anything, smiley face. I thought I'd pass it along. If nothing else, know that you are on my mind and in my heart. Now, that felt like a risk to me, but that was the, the vision that I had was of my friend with a crossbow over his shoulder, and I thought, gosh, that seems, that's really, the wisdom and competence, and, well, I got a ping back. It was early in the morning, and immediately he wrote, timely, I have two significant presentations today. A few of the folks I'm presenting to are in tech. During my prayer time this morning, God told me to be bold. Thanks for the confirmation. Wow. That came right back. And, and then I've, I've heard from him since that this was a very meaningful experience for him that he has shared with uh, many other people. A tremendous encouragement, he says. That's the Holy Spirit at work in a regular person's life. That's what it looks like. Now I have put my words, the Lord's saying, in your mouths. See, this is a promise for Jeremiah, but it's also a promise for you too. And I want to give you an assignment this week that is to go out and build somebody up with God's words. Now, you could say, hey, like Moses, I'm not articulate enough. Or you could say, like Isaiah, oh, I'm not spiritual enough. You could say, like Jeremiah, I'm not old enough, but that's not true. God, in his grace, has called you and put you next to the people he wants to find Encouragement and consolation next to the people he wants to build up. You're called. So pursue love and speak for upbuilding. That means look for somebody who needs encouragement or consolation. Now, it just 
here's a little process to think about. It's a cute little acronym. The first step to do this, if you want to, is to surrender. Surrender to Jesus, just like Jeremiah did. Surrender. Uh, again, if you've already done that before, say, I'm yours, Jesus. My life is yours, Jesus. Send and say what you will in and through me. The second step is to ask. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to your mind who needs consolation or encouragement. Lord, who, who, who needs a word of encouragement today? Just ask him. And then uh, listen, step three, for a message. An image might be a picture like I had or some words or a gesture. Uh, just listen. You may not hear anything, and that's okay. Don't worry about it. The Spirit may not say anything to you any given moment, but listen. And then the fourth thing is tell. Go, go tell. Um, you might say something to this person. You know, I, I wonder if there's a message for you from God somewhere in this, but I wanted to share this with you. And I wonder if there's something from God for you in this. So S-A-L-T, salt, surrender, ask, listen, and then tell. You know, there's a lot of chaos in our culture today as well, and it feels like in some ways something is dying. We're in a season of of, of dynamic change and transition in Seattle and in the world. But I will say this, that the world is still very much the object of God's love. And yes, there are a lot of nuns today, but not one of them doesn't yearn to know that they are loved. That before God formed them in the world, he knew them. That before they were born, he consecrated them. So let's go and build lives together, shall we? Let's pray. Please pray with me. God, we just take a moment right now to give you an opportunity to bring someone to mind whom we might encourage this week. So please, we first pause to say, would you take our lives? We trust you that you've called us, that we're people of a destiny, that we've been strategically located in time and space adjacent to neighbors to whom you have sent us. We want to surrender to your purpose in that mission. Secondly, we pray, would you bring someone in particular to our minds right now as we quiet our hearts before you? Would you bring a name or a face? And if you're bringing someone to our minds, would you give us a message, something that we might share with them? And then finally, Lord, give us courage. Give us the boldness of knowing that as you promised to Jeremiah, you will be with us and that we have nothing to fear for you are a God of great love and yearn for nothing more than to embody that love in our lives for others. Thank you. Thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name we pray.